Over the last few weeks, I've been looking at a topic called Desiring God. We explored about the difference between knowing facts about God to actually knowing God in a personal, uh, interactive way. So it's experience is necessary. Uh, we looked at Daniel last time, Daniel 11.32b, and we looked at a particular verse which said, but the people who know their God shall do exploits. We looked in what is the context in which it sits. And uh, we concluded in the book of Daniel, we see God knows the future, God plans the future, God reveals the future to his people. He said that is a confidence we can have that he knows what we are going to face. We, he, we can be reassured that he's, he's involved in the planning of that future and he can choose to reveal the future to us in an immediate context or in the wider context. We looked at the fact that it helps us to stand firm, take action, to bring understanding, to endure suffering, to be refined, to resist evil, and to find rest in the middle of various circumstances. God made us for his good pleasure. More than anything, sometimes we're trying to find meaning and and purpose in our lives, but the greatest thing is to give God pleasure. The greatest pleasure that you can bring God is by acknowledging Him, by living for Him. That can be very daunting. How do I live for Him? The Bible says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in His name unto Him. So it's important to be conscious of the fact whether you are doing something for leisure, whether you're doing something for others, whether you're studying, working, whether you're at home, you're doing it for him. And his presence is with you as his children. Okay. So today what I'm going to be looking at, today I'm going to be looking at one particular verse, but before I do that, I'm going to give you two more verses which I'm just going to touch in passing. The first one is taken from Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, and I want to emphasize on that, that they know you. You need to know God experientially, and about him, the only true God and Jesus Christ. We need to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is eternal life. And the next one I would like to touch on would be in passing is from Jeremiah 9, 23, to 20, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the God or I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Wow. So this, you know, temptation as human beings is to boast in something, you know, particularly in our culture, we like to be the self-made man by my hard work. Look, what, look at what I've achieved. But God is saying, don't boast in any of these things because they are not worth boasting about. The only thing that you can boast is that he understands and knows me. Known by God to know him. And uh, in today's text is going to be coming from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I'll repeat that again. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices, I, des I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Shall we pray? Father God, we ask that even as I've spent time in your presence, thinking, mulling over, reading, writing, asking, seeking, and today even as I come to open up your scripture, I ask that you'll open up hearts to receive what you're saying, we ask that you will give them listening ears and eyes that can observe, above all a heart that is supple, to take on board and to be transformed by a word and live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea is the son of Berai, and he is, if you like, a, he, he preached about 10 years after Amos did. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom and at the time in northern kingdom the king, they had one of the worst kings called Jeroboam II and he preached for 25 years, his ministry spanned for 25 years. And the book of Hosea has a collection of the various prophecies he has given at various times put together by a collector or an editor, if you like. You get the picture? So it is not necessarily chronological or anything, but he's, this is together. But the overarching theme is this. He is trying to tell the nation of Israel, that is the northern kingdom, who had already broken off from the south and they're practicing apostasy. They've started mixing the truth with untruth, a little bit of the world with a little bit of God. They've already started creating their own priesthood, their own festivals, and it was a downward spiral. And this is at the tail end of their kingdom. And in... Uh, 721 or 722 BC, they're going to be carried off as captives by the Assyrians. 
This is the backdrop in which this guy is preaching. This guy is bringing God's message to God's people. Even though they were unfaithful, God was still looking at them as his people. Obviously, relationship is estranged. There is tensions, there's difficulties, but he is committed to his people. The overarching message is the faithfulness of God on one side and the unfaithfulness of his people. God wanted to demonstrate how bad the nation of Israel had become. He wanted to give them a visual prop in order to communicate this message home, to drive this message home. So he, he for his own, in his infinite wisdom, he asked Hosea to do something very strange. He asked him to go and marry a promiscuous woman. So the marriages happened and then she's still being promiscuous. There's suspicion about the children she bears, whether it is his or not. To that extent, it is looking bad. So you'd find there is a he marries a promiscuous woman, number one. Number two is unfaithfulness continues. And number three, Hosea is asked to go and seek her and restore her back to himself. Three things. Okay? The first one, he's asked to marry a person who was wayward in the first place is an imagery of God entering into a covenant with the nation of Israel. He didn't choose Israel because they were clever or they're good or they had a natural propensity to do good. He often calls them as a stiff-necked people. A people who, if you give them, if you give them a, a little space, they will be unfaithful. You see that right in the middle of the, just after they've said, yes, we, you will be our God and we'll be your people. After that agreement is made or that covenant is made, they're immediately unfaithful. The golden calf. So God entered into a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And then... There's unfaithfulness, just like Hosea's wife. And, but God is saying there's going to be a time of restoration. Okay. But in order to have that restoration, there's also a period of repentance and return. Okay. So, the... Word here he uses in, if you have a New King James Bible or one of the older translations, he says that I, God says, I am betrothed to you, Israel. That English word betrothed comes from a, another old English word called rot. Rot uh, means being loyal. Betrothed means being loyal. God is calling his people to be loyal to him. How do you exhibit loyalty in a covenant relationship with God? 
is by obedience and by respect. It is not just that Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he uses, he describes the relationship between a man and his wife, and he says to the husband, husbands, love your wife and live with understanding. Husbands, lay down your lives for your spouse. Equally, he says to the woman, that you might respect and obey your husband. He didn't just pull it out of thin air and think, oh, let me just write it. He was going back to the relationship because a Christian marriage is meant to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church, between God and his people. There's a great need for husbands to realize their role and a great need for wives to realize their role, what they are doing. They're portraying this to the world around them. Hosea is preaching, like I've said, after Amos, 10 years after Amos, and he's hitting home some of the key issues with the children of Israel. The children of Israel have been consistently practicing certain sins. Number one, infidelity. That is unfaithfulness. Number two, they, the northern kingdom had declared to be independent or autonomous. In other words, we live in a culture where we are democratic society and we I don't know about you, but we don't like to be told what to do. We like to come to conclusions ourselves. We don't like to be told. If sometimes if someone tells you something, you just say, on your bike, mate. To that extent, you, you hate. Don't you dare speak to me. I'm not a child. I'm an adult. Respect. These are things because we are, as a society, a condition to live an autonomous life. This is what I'm talking between God and things. If God says to you, if God's scripture says something, we say, I don't agree with that. Because you say, when you say, I don't agree with that, you're saying, your wisdom is far superior to God's wisdom. You know better than he knows about a given subject. I think you got it wrong. You need to get a, a, a new updated version, a patch on the software, God. You get it? There's a security flaw and you need a patch. You're not keeping up with the times. Independence. Also, the children of Israel were making deals behind the back. In other words, they were trying to get into military uh, alliances or peace treaties with either with the north or with the south, either with the Syrians or with Egypt. They, they were doing that was intrigue. They also had idolatry. They didn't cease to do religion. They were doing religion, but they were doing other things as well. So if you take in today, in, uh, in, in our relationship as a church, as individuals within God's church, 
there's a good chance of unfaithfulness or infidelity with God. There are times when we can want to be independent of God, at least on given occasions. Sometimes we want to be smart and try to say, God, can I help you? And, and let me find a, a get-rich-quick scheme. If you try to get rich in a very smart way, there are chances that you could land yourself in trouble. But the Bible says when the Lord prospers somebody or for God makes someone rich, he will not add sorrow to it. There are some biblical sound principles in the book of Proverbs. If you work hard, if you're a good steward, if you're like an ant, you are bound to prosper. These are just general wisdom. And in terms of idolatry, we sometimes idolize certain ways of thinking. And then there's immorality and there's ingratitude. When we fail to say thank you. Some other sins of the issues which was faced were seen in amongst the priests. They were false priests in the northern kingdom. They, appointed, they were not Levites, they were appointed by themselves. Then there were false prophets who were supposedly bringing messages from God. Their messages are usually along the lines of crowd-pleasing. If, you know, I've been in congregations in, in, my, in my life of working or traveling in various extremes of Christianity, you've got people who want to give you messages that you like to hear. You don't want to hear any challenging messages, which is a, a message of holiness. Here's a challenge. I was, this, this week I was just thinking, I bring all my needs to God in prayer, and I was trying to ask myself a question in terms of proportionality of praying, how much is on the need side of saying, God, please help me with this, my, this, I need this fixed, I need this fixed, I need this fixed, I need this fixed. Yet I was asking myself this question, do I pray with the same intensity saying, Lord, I want to be right in your sight. I want to grow in righteousness. I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in prayer. I want to grow in the way that Christ-likeness develops in me, in the way I interact with people. And I found that, oh, the balance was not brilliant. So as God is speaking to me, I'm speaking to you. The same question, how is your prayer life? What are the things you keep asking God? Is it just a list of material things? You're saying, here's a list, tick, 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 tick. Please answer soon. If not, I'll get disappointed. I won't come to church. Or you've just picked up certain verses from the scripture. One, two, three, four. If I punch these numbers, the chocolate will come out of the slot machine. Or are you treating God like an errand boy? Here's my list, bring my stuff, make it quick. If not, I want a refund. Or if you bring and say, the toppings are not quite right. I didn't ask for pepperoni. I asked for mushrooms and sweet corn. I don't, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm just giving you these analogies in order to, just to explain to you how is our relationship with God? What do you treat God like? 
We are talking about desiring God. In other words, we're saying, I want to know you the way you are. You are a just God. You're a holy God. You're an awesome God. You're an unchanging God. You're completely otherly. I want, to in, I want to interact with you. Thank you for this privilege that you've given me to come into your presence. And as we be in his presence, there's a change that happens. When we pray, prayer changes things, primarily changes you. Having been in his presence, it changes you. Moses spent time in God's presence. When he came down, the Bible says his face shone with the glory of God. Today, I would say that when you, if you're a man, you're a woman of prayer, let the closest person who shares your space see the difference. Earlier, I mentioned about husbands lay down your lives and asking wives to respect the husband, a, a man who lays down his life, or a man who follows God like he ought to, would be easily, it's easy to obey such a person in terms of leadership. So I would ask people, seek God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your being. Say, God, I want to seek you and your kingdom first. I want you more than anything else. There were false prophets, there were princes who lacked in humility and profiteers. We live in a capitalistic society. The only way you want to in, in this world, the, this is the mantra, they say, if you can't beat it, join them and get on the rat race and work jolly smart or harder. What's your dream? I would say let us embrace God. Let's discard things which are not in his sight and embrace God. That doesn't mean he will not be successful. God has got plenty of success stories. Some people will make it there. Some people may not make it there, but still they're making it in God, wherever they are. I'd probably ask Mike sometime to come and do this as a children's talk at some stage. He once used to put a chart and say, he brings all these various professions right from engineers and doctors and lawyers and accountants and missionaries and road sweepers and cleaners and cooks and all sorts. And then you used to ask the children, can you place, where would you place them in the chart? Our mindsets have been conditioned that these are good, these are not so good, these are bad. But if you're working for God, all of them are good. I once heard a testimony in a men's conference about 29 years ago, or 30 years ago, in fact, before I got married, in which I heard a street sweeper from the city of Leeds coming and speaking at the men's conference. Because usually your speakers are all PhDs and doctorates and successful people. He, he's done this and he's done that. He came and he spoke. He spoke something very simple. He said, I'm happy in my job. As I clean my streets, I want it to be the cleanest in the city of Leeds. Wow. 
Whatever you do, being a spouse, being single, being working, being at home, a homemaker, whatever you do, do it for God. Desiring God. Say, God, I want your input to permeate all areas of my thought life, my heart to be passionate, beating for you, alive. And uh, we talked about divine God's faithfulness and human unfaithfulness. But this is consolidated in these three things. You know that word G-O-D. I'm going to just break it up a little bit for us to, to, to help us understand. First one. Despite the unfaithfulness of the children of Israel, the first G is God says, I won't let them go. Oh. God says to the children of Israel who are unfaithful, I won't let them off. I'll hold them accountable for the mistakes they make. I won't let them go. I won't let them off. D. God says, I won't let them down. So I want you to take this on board. Your God has entered into a relationship with us and he's invited us to enjoy this journey for the rest of our lives with him. And God is saying, I won't let you go. I won't let you off. I won't let you down. So, in this instance, when Hosea got uh, married to this woman, he had three children. The first one was a son, and his name got told, call him Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows or God plants. He's saying, basically he's saying, Israel is a planting of the Lord. The church is a planting of the Lord. You are a planting of the Lord, Jezreel. Where was Jezreel in terms of, Jezreel was in a valley. This is the place which, and God is saying, I'm going to punish Jehu's dynasty, I'm going to bring it to an end because of the murders they committed in Jezreel. What happened in Jezreel? This is where Naboth's vineyard was, which was taken by King Ahab. This was a place where Jeroboam uh, or uh, Jehu killed Ahab's sons. The 70 sons were killed and put in three heaps, or two heaps on either side. 35, 35. This is also the place where Jezebel got killed. This is the same place Jezreel is not too far from Megiddo, where the trade routes go through. And there's always a fight to control the Megiddo. And that battle for Megiddo is called Ha Megiddo, which is going to be the final battle. The battle, today there's a battle going on, whether you like it or not, for our minds our hearts, our time, our resources. What is the, every advert saying? Subliminally sending messages. You need this. You need this ultimate driving machine. This is the power of dreams. This is auto-emotion. 
Different things just saying, you need it, you need it. Constantly they're bringing another one, another one, another one, another one. God plants, God is saying, I'm going to punish the nation of Israel. But at the same time, the second child he has is with Hoshea, has with Goma, is lo ruama, means no mercy or not pitied. He's saying, now is not the time to love, but now is the time to chastise. And the third child is a son again, is lo ami, not my people. But in this, as you read the book of Hosea, you find God says where he's going to plant them, he's going to hold them to account, like we said, and where he said, you're not my people, he says, you will be my people. Okay, this is the grace of God. God will not let you go. God will not let you off. God will not let you down. So I just want to now get to that particular scripture we were looking at in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. God is saying that. I'm going to read from another translation here. I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. I would rather have you, I would rather have my people know me than burnt offerings. What does God want from you? He wants our constant love from his people and he wants them to know him. This morning there's an invitation from God for a deeper walk with him. He's inviting you with your weakness, with your failings, with your problems, he's saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you off either. He's saying to you, come, come and know my love. Come, let's walk deeper. I want to read one more scripture and then I'll close. This comes from chapter 11, verse 8. How can I give up on you, Israel? How can I give up on you? How can I abandon you? Could I ever destroy you as I destroyed Adma? Can I ever treat you like I, I dealt with Zeboim? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. I will not punish you in my anger. I will not destroy Israel again. For I am God and not a man. I, the Holy One, am with you. I will not come to you in anger. Wow, this is an amazing commitment, isn't it, from him? Bottom line, he's committed to you. What will be our response? Are we going to say, 
in, in response. We can say these words to him. Is God, I want to walk righteously. I don't want to be rebellious. Righteously simply means being right in his sight. He's already declared us to be right in his sight. I can, the best example I give is, I rem, in my mind's eye, I think of the times when my boys were little toddlers, Claire used to dress them up nice and clean, and we go to Blaze Castle, and the first puddle, you know what happens. They jump, and next thing they're all covered in muddy water. And uh, I've never seen Claire get angry. She'll always say, you mucky pup. And there's my boys doing this. In your mind's eye, I want you to think of the times when you mess it up. God's not trying to beat you up. He wants to clean you. Would you give him a chance to clean you? What you want to do is just go before God and say, He'll clean you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I just want you to bring your life before God and say, I don't know where you're on your journey. It's your journey. It's your personal journey. And where, where you're with God, the challenge is God is calling you to a deeper walk with him. Will you desire the things that he desires? If so, let's do that. God, here I am. Cleanse me, lead me, let me walk with you the whole way. And let me give you pleasure. Shall we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for the scripture says, not that you have come to know God, but rather to be known by God, even as Apostle Paul put it in Galatians. We thank you that we are known by you. You see my rising up, you see my sitting down, you see me lying down, you see me through and through. If I have to run away to the ends of the earth, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Where can I run away from your presence, oh my God? You knew me when I was knitted together in my mother's womb. You know me better than I know myself. And we want to thank you that you know me. You know me by name. And in response we are saying, I want to know you even more. Thank you for your commitment that you won't let us go. You won't let us off. You won't let us down. We are saying, Lord, even as that song goes, is a closer walk with thee. Help us, Lord. Just like my little boys stood before Claire after they, their clothes were muddy, we're just standing here with hands lifted high, looking at you, who's dotingly looking over us, 
even as we heard last week and we told Daniel, Daniel, you're precious to me. Thank you, Lord, that you look at each one of us and say you're precious to you. Cleanse us, Lord. Take us deeper with you. And we want to live in that knowledge, in that security, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.